0: Hey y'all welcome to what a crime to be alive. I'm Carly and this is Pinky and the story we have for you today Takes place in California on Christmas Eve I don't think we have decided yet if we are going to do an episode next week or not so um, It is the holiday week and it is a busy time However, we may end up doing an episode since Christmas isn't until Saturday So with that being said in case we do not have an episode next week the story of the Santa gunman is your holiday episode from us.
1: We're going to do another one, just don't know if it's going to be next week or New Year's Eve week, but you will get another one before the year ends.
0: The year was 2008, and on Christmas Eve, the Ortega family was having a get-together in Covina, California. According to Murderpedia, among the 25 guests at the holiday get-together, there was 43-year-old Sylvia Ortega, Sylvia's sister Leticia Yusuf Sylvia's parents, Alicia Ortega and Joseph Ortega, and Leticia's eight-year-old daughter Katrina. There were many more guests at Alicia and Joseph's house where they were gathered because ultimately the Ortega family was a large, close-knit family. It wasn't clear if Sylvia lived with her parents or not, but I know that she had just recently finalized her divorce with Bruce Jeffrey Pardo. But the two were only married for around two years, according to a 2015 Fox News article. The divorce, however, was very one-sided because Sylvia is the one that actually filed for divorce first after she learned that Bruce's son from a previous marriage had brain damage and was paralyzed to some extent. But that's not all. Fox News said that Bruce abandoned his wheelchair-bound son, but still claimed him on his taxes as a tax write-off. This was more than Sylvia could handle in the marriage because Bruce didn't even tell Sylvia that this kid existed. And when she found out that he did, Bruce basically was like, oh yeah, by the way, I have a kid that is paralyzed and wheelchair-ridden, and also I still claim him on my taxes, but I haven't seen him in a certain amount of years.
1: So I'm not excusing Bruce's absence in his son's life, but let me give you the details. While Bruce was still in a relationship with the mother of his child, she left the child in Bruce's care one day to go grocery shopping. When she returned, Bruce was holding their unconscious 13-month-old son, and unbeknownst to Bruce, the toddler crawled out onto the patio and fell into a swimming pool. The boy was airlifted to a children's hospital, and Bruce stayed by his side for a week. Once it was revealed that the child suffered from severe brain damage and would be confined to a wheelchair— The relationship between the couple soured, and Bruce stopped visiting his son after six months. A CNN article alluded to Bruce leaving his son due to guilt from what happened to him.
0: Sylvia filed for divorce, and Bruce was very distraught over it. He threw her out of their home and put all of Sylvia's stuff on the street for her to come get. So whether or not she lived with her parents, this was still a great distraction for Sylvia.
1: Once again, this is not a valid reason or excuse for his actions, obviously, but something that may have set Bruce off was how things played out in court. According to a Huff- Huffington Post article on Murderpedia, he just lost his job as an electrical engineer, had extremely high monthly expenses, and credit card debt. But the court ordered Bruce to pay Sylvia 1785 a month in spousal support, Plus 3570 for past payments. However, the divorce was settled. The court waived those payments and Bruce got the house. But he also had to pay his ex-wife $10,000, return her valuable diamond ring, and give her custody of the dog. So financial troubles on top of a broken marriage, on top of being the type of person who uses their disabled son for tax purposes could have been a catalyst for his Covina massacre. And this wasn't the Huffington Post article, but, um, I did read a Reddit thread, which obviously isn't like, uh, research or fact-based or anything, but a lot of people who were more familiar with the story and people who were from the area allegedly said that, um, it was really weird. They said that they didn't feel sorry for Sylvia. And once they learned about how much money she got from him and, She drove around um, their town in a brand new, uh, what's it called? Uh, BMW. I was about to say a brand new Airbnb. (laughs) (laughs) A brand new BMW and didn't have to work or do anything to, you know, survive. Just live off Bruce's money. Apparently, these people in the community, and these could just be trolls online, were like, I have no sympathy for her, blah, 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 blah. And it's just like, uh, what? Have we? Never mind. We haven't gotten to that yet. All right. Hand it back over to Carly.
0: According to Fox News, around 1130 p.m. that night, there was a knock at the door. Eight-year-old Katrina rushed to the door to see Santa standing there with a wrapped present. She was excited and shouted that Santa was there, but when Katrina opened the door, the man dressed as Santa shot her in the face with a handgun. Immediately, the rest of the family began to run from the gunman. Some were hiding under the tables. One woman jumped out the window, and a couple of people slipped out the back door. But this gunman was attacking anyone and everyone in sight. leticia scooped up Katrina and ran for her life to a neighboring home to call 911. Here is a clip from that call.
1: What's your
0: address? Ma'am. Ma'am, I understand. I need to know your address. When he shot, I heard the shots, so and we, they were like opposite, and I wasn't sure what it was, so we all. Everyone really started panicking and running, so we all dove under the gun. Some of us dove, some of us run I don't know. My daughter has been shot. She was shot in the face on the side and she's bleeding. I know. I, I let the officers know. The officers are making sure it's safe, for the paramedics I need bandage, please. Please come immediately. What is in your house? Atisha told the dispatcher she was sure that the gunman was her ex-brother-in-law, Bruce Pardo. While Leticia was on the phone with 911, The gunman, who was later confirmed to be Pardo, used a homemade flamethrower to cover the inside of the house with gasoline before setting the home on fire.
1: So I got ahead of myself, but that's what I was saying. Um, He shot an eight-year-old in the face, and he set the family home on fire with a homemade flamethrower. So how could you say that this was, like, justified? And you don't feel sorry for Sylvia. It's just like, yeah, maybe she got a little bit of money that she didn't deserve. We really, you know, don't know. We weren't there. But that justifies her being killed and her family being slaughtered. I don't know. Like I said, it may have just been online trolls. But anyway, before we go over the um, investigation portion of the episode, I want to share some details found in a LA Times article right before I got here to record. According to Irma Chapa Ortega, a cousin who lived in Mexico, James and Charles Ortega were two of the first gunshot victims, but still tried to get up and stop Bruce. They recognized their former brother-in-law and attempted to stop him, but ultimately succumbed to their wounds. The Ortega parents, three daughters, and one daughter-in-law were gunned down in the dining room after trying to hide. Also, it is suspected that Katrina saved her own life by turning her head immediately before the bullet hit the side of her face. If the bullet had entered her skull at another angle, she could have died.
0: Police, fire, and rescue made it to the scene, but it was too late for many of the victims. According to Murderpedia, the fire was around 40 to 50 feet at its peak, and it took 80 firefighters almost two hours to completely secure the home from flames. Everything and everyone in the house had been burned up so badly that the bodies were unidentifiable, and it would take dental records to help identify the victims of this brutal attack. ABC7 reported that during the initial search, investigators found three bodies. But after several searches through the rubble and debris, a total of nine bodies were found. Dispatchers received a call around 3.30 a.m. from Pardo's brother saying that when he got to his house, Bruce was there and he was dead. After arriving at the scene, police discovered Bruce had third-degree burns on his body and a gunshot wound to the head. Found on Bruce's body were two handguns, a key to a rental car, $17,000 in cash, and a plane ticket from Los Angeles to Illinois. Investigators were able to track down the rental car just a couple of blocks from where Bruce was found, and after the bomb squad was called to the scene, the suspicious device, which ended up being 500 rounds of ammunition, exploded. Thankfully, no one was hurt. Wikipedia said that three victims were taken to the hospital upon arrival. The 8-year-old who was shot in the face, a 16-year-old who was shot in the back, and a 20-year-old who broke her ankle from jumping out the window of the second story. Those whose remains were identified at the scene were... Sylvia Ortega Pardo, 43 years old. Alicia Ortega, 70 years old. Joseph Ortega, 80 years old. Charles Ortega, 49 years old. Sherry Ortega, 45 years old. James Ortega, 51 years old. Teresa Ortega, 52 years old. Alicia Ortega Ortiz, 46 years old and Michael Ortiz, 17 years old.
1: Carly just named the victims, but apparently Bruce planned on killing more than just his former in-laws. The New York Daily News reported that Bruce's mother was invited to the Ortega Christmas party, and Bruce had intentions on taking her out as well for siding with his ex-wife Sylvia. However, she fell ill and felt it would be best to stay home. Sylvia's divorce attorney was another potential victim of Bruce, but he committed suicide before making it to his getaway vehicle a second rental car. And after Illinois, Bruce planned on fleeing to Canada. He actually called days before the massacre to tell a high school friend that he's, he was planning to visit, but investigators were unsure if he actually intended to visit or if the flight was to full investigators. And um, I want to go back to his second and third degree burns and part of the reason why he didn't choose to go um, go with the the plan, the Santa suit burned onto his skin. So, even if he did have a change of clothes and even if he was able to, you know, kind of disguise his wounds, like that was burnt onto his skin. So, I guess he realized, even with hiding them, potentially he was still going to be in pain. He still needed treatment or was going to get infected or, you know, whatever. So, um, Yeah, that's part of the reason why he probably chose to kill himself instead of try to escape because he knew that that wasn't going to be worth the time. A few days after the massacre occurred, the LA Times spoke with Bruce's mother, Nancy Windsor, where she assured that all the money found on Bruce and in the getaway vehicle would go to her grandchildren, both Bruce's son and Sylvia's children from prior relationships. Also following the massacre, we learned that Bruce's house was described as a virtual bomb factory per Wikipedia. In a resume that was found in his home, investigators discovered that Bruce allegedly worked as an engineer at a jet compulsion lab and worked for a NASA program, which alluded to his ability to create explosive devices and flamethrowers. So we're at the end of this case, but something I like to start doing for each episode almost like another segment, is listing some pop culture references to the cases we explore. For example, the Covina Massacre was mentioned in a 2010 song called Black Christmas recorded by X-Ray Specs. And the movie Silent Night was partially based on the massacre. In the film, a character tells the story of a man who donned a Santa suit and used a homemade flamethrower to attack a Christmas party being attended by his ex-wife. Now, I haven't seen that movie, but how could it be (laughs) partially based on the massacre? Like, that's exactly what happened. I'm sure the details were different in order to make it, you know, like a two-hour movie. But yeah, that seems like a little bit more than being based on or inspired by. Anyway, there weren't too many more details. We could have went into, like, personal accounts of different family members. Like, we talked about... um, Irma Chapa Ortega and Nancy Windsor, who was Bruce's mother, but as far as the the case and investigation went went, you know, when he killed himself, that's kind of where it landed. You know, they they found his escape plan. They found a vehicle with um, several guns, a lot of ammunition, um, changes of clothes, more money in addition to the seventeen thousand that was found on his body. Um, Like we just told you, they learned that he intended on killing more people. Um, They learned that uh, why he abandoned his son and what actually happened to his son. So, you know, there was a little bit more about his background and a little bit more uh, of the family personal accounts, but the meat and potatoes we revealed to you today. And now...
0: So I forgot to put this in the um, notes, but there was a part when the investigators kind of tracked, like, how long he had been planning to do this, um, and it had been several months, because in July of that year is when, uh, Pardo actually bought the Santa suit, um, and he had ordered it, like, he had special ordered it to be really big, um, and I don't really know why to be really big, but he had, that was one thing that, um, whoever sold him the Santa suit was, like, kind of, they they remembered that because it was it was odd that he had special ordered it to be so big that in the night of Christmas Eve when he was on his way to his in law's house, um, the his neighbor actually saw him pulling out of the driveway in a Santa suit and his neighbor said, "Hey, where are you going?" and his and Pardo said, "Going to a Christmas party," and his neighbor thought that was kind of weird, but. I mean, nothing, he didn't really say anything or report it to cops because, you know, that was kind of normal, I guess, that somebody would be going to a Christmas party on Christmas Eve. Um, That came forward after the investigators spoke with the neighbors. Now we have Crime of the Week and let's see here. We've got two. One is not funny and the other one is funny. So I'll do the not one, not funny one first. We did this one because it is um, relatively close to us. Um, so this takes place in Huntington, West Virginia. That's like 20 minutes from where we live. Um, And this girl, she was 21 at the time, and this was in um, 2007, she was reported missing. She went to Marshall University, that's where I graduated from. Um, Her name is Leah, she is, this is like a cold case, but in 2007, she went missing, and then a week later, um, police found her body in a crawl space in her apartment building, so investigators believe that she was strangled. However, there has been nothing else to um, to this case at all, so it still remains active. They're hoping that somebody will have some kind of tip for them, so if you do, call the Huntington Police Department at 304-696-4420 um, or submit anonymous tips through their tip line at 304-696-4444. Um, And then our funny crime of the week was actually posted today. It happened this past Saturday. Um, There's a guy and I thought this was like not real because (laughs) I've never heard someone named this before and it made me laugh. Um, so this happened in Wilmington, Delaware, 44 year old. McRoberts Williams <laughs> McRoberts, <laughs> McRoberts um, <clears throat> handed a note to a teller of a bank that Saturday and said basically there was a robbery taking place. The uh, teller was only 25 years old so I'm sure she was scared out of her mind and she gave him however much cash that he wanted Well, he darted out of the bank and then immediately stopped at the ATM on the exterior of the building and deposited that money. Um, So police officers (laughs) responded to the scene, and he was at a nearby shopping center. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so immediately um, deposited that money, then went to go shopping. And so, yeah, Mick Roberts is an idiot and his name is terrible.
1: I want to revisit the other local crime that happened last week that we talked about when the lady poured gasoline on the um, gas station attendant. Um, So it turns out she was mentally ill and the racial stuff I alluded to did happen. Um, I can't say much else. I don't really have, you know, much confidential tea or whatever, but... I can't say much else besides due to her mental um, competency. She may not have any charges that actually stick um, or may not be able to be charged with certain things. But, yeah, um, I just wanted to basically say I was right. I was right about her, and I don't know if – drug use or mental illness causes, um, racism, but yeah, I was right. You have anything you want to add? Um, so we will give you another episode before the year ends. Just not sure if it'll be next week or the following week. Um, in the meantime, you can give us a five-star review on Apple. That would be awesome. Um, you could share with a friend, you could share our social media, um engage with us on social media, Instagram, and Twitter is at what a crime pod and on Facebook it's what a crime to be alive. Also we have the Gmail Gmail <laughs> mm-hmm. Gmail account what a crime pod at gmail.com. So hit us up and we'll be looking for your attention, conversation, whatever you want to call it. Um that's all we got. Holla, baby, flamingo.